It is caught. Touchdown, Auburn. Sanders caught it. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Campbell in the end zone. everybody welcome to track em tigers podcast episode 20 we're going to be recapping the auburn washington huskies game i'm Derek roberts and as always i'm joined by zach taylor zach how's it going oh we're doing fantastic hey it's another week here um was just looking over the rankings on the way home from hockey uh my daughter was asking me about things you know asking what we thought and i said well hey guess what you can just listen to the podcast share it with your friends and maybe we can get from five listeners to seven listeners this week that's right, and uh, just to get right into it, Auburn big winners this weekend, twenty-one to fifty or sixteen, excuse me, over the Washington Huskies. What a nail biter! I, we should be used to it as Auburn fans by now, I suppose. But, geez, man, I was at the game and just two and a half quarters there, probably three really of just solid tense. It looked like Auburn was going to let it slip away towards the end of the game. Towards the end of the game, were you concerned at any point? Uh, well, you know, the game started off so hot with the defense playing well and the offense playing well. You know, we had about, uh, we were at capacity here at the barn, uh, probably the, for the first time in the four years we've had our annual college football kickoff. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I am the bartender. It is my bar. So after that first quarter, you know, things were looking really good. And I mean, I was keeping an eye on the screen, but really wasn't watching. And then I look up kind of like you're talking about. Wow, it turned into a game all of a sudden, and I kind of had to like shush people around me so that I could watch the fourth quarter. And of course, Auburn got right in the fourth quarter, but uh, you know, we had a lot of fans from different schools Tennessee, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Alabama, of course. So, you know, they weren't, you know, really paying attention. So I had to really hush the crowd there for a little bit. But yeah, it, it got kind of kind of scary there for a while. Yeah, we came out hot, man, and the crowd could not have been better. It was an awesome crowd being at the stadium. Mercedes-Benz is just magnificent, you know, to say the least. It's an awesome, awesome stadium. And, you know, of course, Auburn comes out hot. We get the touchdown pass to uh, Sal Canella, who we talked about extensively on the last show. And, you know, for a good quarter Maybe not, you know, quarter and a half. It looked like Auburn might go up by two or three scores there in the first half. And then here comes the Washington Huskies. Of course, they're a super experienced team, and I think they're going to have a really good season despite their loss to Auburn. And you could kind of feel, at least with the group of people I was watching the game with, you could kind of feel everybody tense up and it's like, okay, this is this is serious now. we got to put our serious faces back on for a little while. Yeah, but, yeah absolutely. Uh, Auburn ultimately. Yeah, Auburn ultimately pulled it out, and I think that, you know, one of my first thoughts, one of my first big takeaways from the game is the the offense uh, stumbled a little bit in the middle of the game. Yeah, you know, I actually went back and watched the game uh, this afternoon again, and stumbling is, is, you know, pretty good definition of what they did, but I actually kind of look at it a little bit differently. Uh, I mean, it's still stumbling, but we missed a ton of opportunities. There were There were... Just, you know, 
some things just didn't quite click right. And the article that I had come out today, I kind of hinted at that a little bit, that there were times that were definitely Gus Malzahn calling plays. There were times that were definitely Chip Lindsey calling plays. And then there were some drives that looked like there were some decisions that were being made and the head man had to step in. Did you did you kind of get that feeling at any point? Yeah, I was just about to ask you. This did not feel like a typical early season Gus Malzahn call football game. It didn't feel as discombobulated, certainly as it has in in years past, or or incompetent as it you know as it has has appeared in seasons past. This game was a it, the offensively it was like a decent balance of going for it and you know also not putting guys in positions you know where they had a. I guess a low chance of succeeding. I enjoyed that aspect of it, but looking back, the further away I've gotten from this game, we, Auburn was far more tentative than it should have been and could have been. Yeah, I completely agree, uh, and I think that that goes back to the trigger man himself and Jarrett Stidham. There were a couple of plays that that he simply just did not see. There was one down in the red zone um, that we ended up coming away with a field goal, but. Uh, uh, Canella actually broke free. He's Stidham is flushed to the right, and uh, uh, Canella actually kind of rushed free, but it would have meant that Stidham would have to throw across his body. And of course, everybody knows that that's a big no-no. But this is, you know, a ten-yard pass and, and one of the better arms in college football. And Canella was actually really open there, and you could tell that that Stidham was really risk adverse in this game. He didn't make that throw. There were a couple of other throws that I saw. I'm not in the red zone. There's one in particular, kind of in the middle of the field where he just completely missed missed the read. Well, it's it's good that you touched on uh, Stidham. I'm sorry to throw you off. It's good that you touched on Stidham being risk-averse because it was good to see a lot of young guys get to play for the offense, guys that you know that we're going to have to count on this year. Uh, Jatarvis Whitlow, Cam Martin. The, the younger guys and the inexperienced guys, I think, did a pretty good job of mitigating risk. I mean, there were mistakes made, but... Not a lot of blowups down there on the field. Would you would you agree with that? I do. I really do. You know, um, they're just the line did have some shaky plays where they just kind of dropped the ball and, and completely missed their assignment. But for the most part, nobody really whiffed on anything. There were no bad drops. Which again, I mean, I've been really hard on Cody Burns and the job that he's done with the receivers. But there were none other than Jatarvius Whitlow dropped one in the flat, which. Really wasn't his fault. Jarrett Stidham kind of rushed a throw and about threw a laser beam through his head. Uh, other than that, there were no drops. Uh, I didn't think there was really a lot of missed routes. There was there was probably one or two plays that I did see where receiver kind of dogged a route because he didn't think he was – he probably thought he was the third or fourth option. And he ended up being the guy that probably needed to get the ball. But uh, really not a lot to um, feel bad about. In fact, I, I want to – Ask your opinion on what you thought of the intermediate passing game. I thought that it looked very strong. And to go back for just a second, what I enjoyed about the game is, yes, we made mistakes on both sides of the ball. I mean, the defense had more penalties than it's had in like two or three seasons. But I was encouraged by the fact that the mistakes that we saw, you know, get made on the field – those are all good learning moments. No, I didn't see any guys just making just stupendously boneheaded plays, and that's what I like to see. When you've got a bunch of people that are inexperienced, you got guys that you're going to have to count on all year, you're going to see mistakes when somebody hasn't played, when somebody just doesn't have the minutes, they don't have the game reps. It was nice to see 
you know, more learning moment mistakes instead of guys just completely whiffing on things. And yeah, and to your point, the intermediate passing game looks, it looks like it could be something that's going to be, you know, a serious elite threat by the middle of the season. I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by some young receivers stepping up and catching the ball. I believe it was Seth Williams had a couple good catches. It's, it's shaping up to be a really exciting season. As frustrated as I was at certain aspects of this game, I, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited about the potential that this team has. I want to know what you thought about our running backs, specifically Booby Whitlow. Cam Martin was not unimpressive, but Booby Whitlow stood out to me. He had some good, strong runs. Of course, he had the game-winning run. But, you know, what are some of your thoughts on Auburn's running backs in this game? Well, you know, it's I don't think you can really address the running backs without talking about the run blocking. I think a lot of people already know kind of what happened there. Uh, offensive line still a work in progress. But that being said, you know, if you go and look at these two guys and compare numbers, there's really not a lot that, that separates the two of them. Um, of course, Cam Martin got the bulk of the carries. I think, you know, this is pretty much his first game where he went over – 20 carries. Uh, he did some some big time damage out of the backfield, which we knew he could do that. Uh, he seemed to be pretty good in pass protection. But, you know, and I was telling you uh, earlier today when me and you were chatting, um, the thing that I saw with, with Cam Martin in particular was when and on those inside runs where he knew he was running inside, uh, if he saw a lane, if the, if the offensive line opened up a hole for him, he really exploded through that. You know, he had a couple of good 13 and 19 yard runs. In fact, like that fourth and one, uh, that they, they give the ball to Cam Martin. He turns a fourth and one into a 19 yard gain. That was a He's great a run. Tentative contact though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is if the lot, if he, if he gets to the line and there's no hole, you can visibly see him shut down the run. As in, I get to the line and I wait to get pounded, and if if he doesn't get pounded, then he explodes through. But there's this hesitation with him that uh, it, it just exists. And if you go back and look at the plays, you see it. It can't be hidden. And and Booby just doesn't have that. Uh, you know what I mean? No, that's no. A, Booby that's a, is is a car accident waiting to happen for somebody. Right. And I mean, and there were a couple of runs that that Booby had that there was no hole whatsoever, and. He just pounded it up in there and and made the the most out of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, this is this is early on the season. We've seen we've seen this movie play on before. Uh, give it well, two in, more weeks. It, in, in Cam Martin's defense, I mean, it kind of goes with conventional wisdom of what a lot of people have thought. I think I think if you ask most fans, they would think that Cam Martin's more of a threat running the ball outside the tackles, and that, I don't. That, and that's not unusual. It's not unusual for you know what he did last year, and for his body type. I, I think that I think that as the season goes on, you're going to see Booby Whitlow be the hammer, and you're going to see uh, Cam Martin be the guy, the the more scat back guy who we try to run jet sweeps with and stuff. Which we we didn't see any outside running in this game. We we mostly kept it on the interior. Why do you think that was? I, well, I think that there was a lot left on the field. There are a lot of yards left out there to be gained by not running the ball outside. Well, see, I'm kind of coming at it from a different direction where I'm thinking if you're not going to uh, give that ball to the perimeter run, why do you even put the guy into motion? You know, so I'm all about utilizing that if if, if we think yeah, we, we, it's, we kept we, we kept Washington's defense honest on that all game long, and then we, we never really tried to pay off. Get yeah, that to pay off for well, us, and I didn't understand that. I'm sure the coaches have their, you know, their educated reasons, obviously, but 
we talked about that for probably the final quarter and a half with the people I was watching the game with. You know, we kept expecting, you know, we were going to try to hit a jet sweep, and I thought it was set up really well. You know, people smarter than me can probably point out reasons why we didn't do that, but I was surprised that we didn't really see it at all. Well, you know, I wonder myself if that has something to do with the personnel. Uh, you know, two of the guys that I think that we would utilize in that situation are coming back from from injury right now. You've got, you know, Will Hastings and you've got uh, Eli Stone. Of course, Stone hasn't had a lot of production in terms of catching the ball, but what he has done has been able to take those end of rounds to the house. So, you know, maybe we're just trying to put something on film for defenses to keep honest. And when those guys get back and they're fully healthy, you you unleash those guys because both those guys are 4-3 guys. You know, we don't think about Will Hastings in terms of speed, but he's got it. I mean, he's been timed as being that fast. So, you know, maybe this is just something, hey, we want to get people comfortable with what we're doing, but we don't necessarily have the guys ready to put in the situation that we will have in a couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe so. The one thing that I don't agree with on that that you touched on, and I'm not saying that you endorse this, but the one thing I don't agree on is if we're just trying to get stuff on film, I understand that against the team we're playing this weekend in, in Alabama State, but you know we're not trying to hide tendencies necessarily against Washington. I think you go all out and try to win that game. Exactly. I'm not saying the coaches didn't do that, but it, it's not really a time to play it safe. Uh, I, I do feel like we played it safe a lot of this game, and whether or not that's from Gus not trusting the guys to run certain plays, which is, you know, my gut tells me that that's most of it. I I, I want to see this coaching staff go for it a little bit more, and that was one of the areas in this game that kind of left me wanting more. Like, you know, we really, really should have gone for that at some point. I mean, whether you trust the guys or not, I mean – we won the game and it worked out and, you know, Gus took a step forward from, you know, the way the offense has looked in years past, but it still wasn't, you know, Alabama put up 51 points on a team and they have an entirely new coaching staff. And, you know, I'm not trying to compare us to quote unquote big brother, but, you know, at some point you got to let it all hang out as early as you can. You know what I mean? I do. I do. You know, and I, and I think there's something to be said about that. I go back to the point that, uh, you know, me and you discussed last week that people really disagreed. Well, I mean, they really disagreed with me on, you know, when I said, Hey, Auburn doesn't necessarily have to win this game. You know, I, I me and you agree. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I wish we could have seen them go all out against a very good Washington team, put up a lot of points, but I feel like, uh, there was a razor's edge that Malzahn was really on for this game. Yeah, I'd like to win this game. Yeah, this is a great defense, but I'm going to do just enough to get by. And that's exactly what that offense did. They did just enough to get by. And if that meant, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna uh, show this play, I'm going to show this end around a couple of times, you know, probably 12 times over the course of the game, and if we get in the fourth quarter and I absolutely need it, I'll use it. But until then, I'm going to keep it in my back pocket. And I just feel like Malzahn thought, and I guess really Lindsey thought, we don't have to burn that for this game. We can win this, albeit we'll win it close. We'll win it nasty, but we'll win it, and we won't have to show a lot of cards to do it. Well, I don't. to that point, I don't think that Gus is actively trying to do just enough on offense. But I don't know what it is that gets him trapped in a box of getting so conservative and so tight. I think that if we had pounded on the aggressive passing game a little bit more earlier in the game, 
Auburn could have opened this up and given themselves a little breathing room, and we wouldn't have had to worry about those late field goals by Washington in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter. But, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I, I don't really like to second-guess the coaches in a win, even though I know I have. And, but this was a good team, and, you know, he gets a pass. I mean, this is way better than anything we've seen early in, a, you know, in other seasons. So I think you take the win – you take a step forward this weekend and you, you know, you kind of continue to grow on it. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. You know, I, and I've been a, a, you know, a major thorn in the side, I guess, uh, in terms of not being happy with the way we've come out early. I think all of us that are, that love the program agree. Uh, this was a very, very good team. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I'm going to quote, you know, the fast and the furious. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a, or a mile, winning's winning. And, and Auburn, you, Vin Diesel. yeah, and Auburn wins this game. Um, you know, there for a minute it looked like it. It was you know kind of within question, and I do feel like Malzahn channeled his 2013 national championship. Albeit we weren't up, you know, 24 to three like we were in that game or whatever it was, 21 to three. But Auburn was on cruise control. It felt like pretty early in that game, and while the the field goals did kind of cut into that lead, and of course the touchdown did cut into that lead until they actually kind of pulled even with Auburn and then passed us, you know, it really wasn't even that close of a game thanks to the defense. But, hey, you know what? you, you got to get a win against the number six team in the nation. And and, and for once in my life, I'm not going to try to second-guess a whole lot. I'm going to be happy about it. I'm not going to be an Alabama fan and say we should have won that game by 50. Hey, we beat a great team. We were an underdog in this team, or uh, in this game, and our team came out and, and won on a national stage, biggest game of the weekend. I mean, you just can't put enough superlatives, I think, on winning that game. But I do no. And what's crazy about that is how sloppy it was at times for us. Yeah, I mean, we I had mean, over hundred yards of had a hundred yards of, of penalties, which is just absolutely unheard of. That that's that is a uh, you know a, an eighties Miami Hurricanes type stat. It's not an Auburn <laughs> yeah. Tiger stat. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just downright awful. Now there was a lot of ticky tack stuff, and you know. I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into the defense here a little bit, but you know, there were a lot of those that were ticky tack, but still there were, there were a lot of penalties that we just didn't need. Uh, tons of those of course came on pass interferences and then the Washington receivers ended up catching the ball anyway, to add insult to injury. But yeah, it was sloppy. If you, if you, if you look at uh, the, the penalties, if you look at, um, you know, still missing a couple of throws down the field, it just was kind of sloppy, and we didn't take advantage of opportunities, and Washington absolutely took advantage of every opportunity that they had. Oh, oh yeah, they did. And just to speak on the pass interference calls quickly, I can't remember if it was every single one of them, but most of those I understood from our defensive backs. I mean, you're talking about trying to defend a back shoulder throw from a four-year starter. Jake Browning was putting the ball exactly where he wanted to, and most of those penalties I understood from our cornerbacks, so... I don't really fault the defense for that necessarily. And before we get into talking about the defensive penalties in this game, how about the job of Kevin Steele holding Chris Peterson, a Chris Peterson offense with this much experience, to one touchdown and only 16 points on the board? I I mean, I just can't say enough. He's got an absolute goon squad running on the defensive line for him, and it's too deep and it's nasty. He did things against Washington that Washington has not had done to them really, but maybe once in the last couple of years, certainly since Chris Peterson uh, showed up in Seattle. 
Uh, and Alabama did a really good job at, at shutting him down, but Auburn did just as good of a job. And like I told you earlier today, first turnover in the red zone for Washington in three years. And, and I mean, you know, fluky stuff happens, but that was no fluke. I mean, Nick Coe and Dontavis Russell blew up. them up, blew them up. Uh, I mean, it was just nasty. I was, man, I, I can't say enough about how, how much this defensive line fired me up. I mean, everybody played well. I'm not trying to put one group ahead of another, but they did. They, they went quiet for a quarter or so as Washington made adjustments and whatnot. For the most part, they did whatever they wanted to. Yeah, and I just want to touch just for a minute, and, and this is going to cross back over to the offensive side of the ball for Auburn and really Washington's defensive side of the ball too. The Peterson's coaching staff made adjustments on both sides of the ball that were absolutely phenomenal, and I and I wish guys from Washington would listen to this podcast so that they could hear, you know, true fans of the sport like me and you talk about just how good they were. And and, and I told you that there were times in the second quarter where I it, it looked like Washington's defense was stealing signs, and what I mean by that is. They blitzed from the right side, and we couldn't pick them up. They they blitz, you know. They 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 seemed to be able to pick up, you know that that extra receiver. They did whatever they had to do. They didn't guess wrong for about two quarters. They were absolutely phenomenal. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, the reason that Auburn's defense went quiet is because they negated that pass rush from Auburn's defensive line with those quick throws. If you watch Browning's feet. It was one, two, three, ball out, one, two, three, ball out. And he put that ball in only a place that his receivers could catch it, and those guys were good enough to make catches. Yeah, in that respect, I'm glad that you brought that up because obviously we're going to nitpick everything that Auburn did and didn't do in this game. But from that respect, it it really was an excellently coached game, and that was was nice to see unfold. Another thing that that mitigated Auburn's passing rush, to touch on that for a second, is there were a lot of plays, a ton – where Washington was holding seven blockers in the box and Auburn was only rushing four. Or less, sometimes three. There were a couple where they uh, only rushed three. And that's out of respect for Jake Browning and what those receivers can do. So, you know, that's important to remember as well. But I I just can't say enough about Kevin Steele. I mean, you've seen the video of him, like, pumping up the defense before the game and talking about nightmares and, like, Dude, I wanted to run through a wall when I saw that video. I didn't because I'm too small, unless it was like a geisha or something that, you know, like one of those Japanese houses. But right, yeah, with the, the <laughs> what I what kind of paper? I forget what kind of bamboo paper. No, rice paper. It's rice paper. It's rice paper. Yeah, now, that's I, the kind of wall I'd have. To, that's kind of, that's the kind of wall I'd have to run through for Kevin Steele. Now, know. now to be fair, I mean, I pretty much ran through a wall of people that first series uh, for Auburn's defenses because. You know, they came out and they were, so, I mean, just absolutely dominated, especially that first series. And I was, monsters. I was running around the barn, like, with my head on fire kind of deal. And people were asking what was wrong with me. And I kept saying the same thing. These dudes came to play. They came to play. And everybody just thought I was crazy. That was a full-blown business trip for Auburn's defense. Because there was not a lot of fun being had on that field. I mean, obviously the guys were celebrating and, and whatnot. You understand what I'm saying. That was, oh my goodness. 
Now they got I, to work. Now, I am interested to hear your thoughts. I, mean, I think this is a great segue. The defensive line uh, and, and the linebackers, I guess we can talk about the linebackers later. They played really well, too. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Auburn's secondary. We knew this was going to be a big question mark. So what did you think? All things considered, I think that they play relatively well, considering the experienced receivers they went up against and uh, the quarterback that they were facing. I mean, like I said earlier, I understand pretty much all of the pass interference calls that Auburn got. You're talking about, you know, defensive backs that are beat on the play, and every single time the receiver made a great catch and Jake Browning made a perfect throw. And so, you know, he's probably the best quarterback that we're going to face until Georgia. Alabama, I, at least, I would take at least throwing the ball, throwing yeah, the ball. Yeah, I don't now, know. I would take. I, I'm pretty sure I Ole would Miss. take Browning up until I think maybe only Tua is the only guy. And of course, I'm not buying into the Tua hype. I'm, I'm simply projecting here based on what I've seen. I mean, you put Jake Browning on Georgia's team, that team's unstoppable. Um, you know, say what you want about the rest of Georgia's Ironically, quarterbacks. Washington has Georgia's quarterback on their roster, Jacob Eason. Oh yeah, well. And, That's what's so crazy about that. Yep, and and you know, look look who's out there lighting it up for his fourth straight year. So, you know, you're right. I mean, I want to pick. I want to pick a little bit on Auburn secondary. So, so the only thing that I'm really going to say is, look, uh, those receivers are full grown men. Uh, not all of them were massive, except for the one guy that they had Jamal Dean matched up on there for a couple different series. And the guy's you know six foot five, two hundred and thirty five pounds. He's an absolute beast. But listen, if you're going to commit a pass interference, can we at least tackle the guy and keep him from catching the ball? Because we had yeah, we had yeah. three different ones, three different ones where we had pass interference and the guy came down with the rock anyway. So, hey, listen, I'll take 15 yards if, if, if it, that's what it's going to be. But it was, do I take 35 yards or 15 yards? And eh, I'll take the catch. Yeah, that's not a good look, but I understand it. And – I mean, the guys played hard all game. They all, Our secondary looks as though it could be extremely talented and, and a very good unit. Everybody just seems a little raw to me right now. That's really the biggest observation I took away from how our secondary played the game. They didn't look, you know, sloppy in the sense that they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't look slow. They didn't look small. They didn't look incapable at all. They just look extremely raw. And for me, you know, for my money, that's going to be okay with me every single day of the week as long as progress is being shown. I mean, they've got the right attitude. They absolutely got after it, you know, with the rest of the defense. I mean, everybody was playing lights out in the sense. I mean, they're going for it. I think that Jamal, I think Jamal Dean in particular, uh, I think he got thrown for a loop considering he had that early interception. And by early, of course, I mean like the first series there. I think he got it lured into a false sense of security for the rest of the game. I know, you know, no Ibignogany, you know, it's his first start at corner. Uh, tough transition. You know, this guy's playing offense last year. And, again, both these guys did great. But I do feel like one, on one side, uh, Dean kind of got lured into a false sense of security. I think Iggy on the other side is used to being the fastest player on the field at all times. And, and he got straight up whooped on a couple of plays where a dude just ran flat by him. And again, they he played did, great. But Igbenogany played really, really well considering yeah. the level of competition he was going against. And that's his first game on this level. Yeah, I, I really have yeah. no major complaints against these guys. I think that the the chips on a couple of occasions just kind of didn't fall. Hey, but listen, I would rather them fall 
uh, for the other team right now than in SEC play. And that's what, you know, again, that's what I meant when I made comments about not having to win this game. I wanted to win. You wanted to win. Auburn wanted to win. But in the end, if I'm going to lose one game this season, this was the game I wanted to lose. I'd much rather beat Georgia and Alabama. Listen, I'd have taken a butt whipping to Washington. If you guarantee me close wins against our two rivals, man, I'll take that all day. Absolutely. Uh, it's important to point out that, that that interception that Jamel Dean got, that was a ball that I believe Jake Browning was just trying to throw away. Yeah, yeah, he Would just you, just didn't see in there. Yeah, it, yeah. I was, I mean, whoo, I was fired up when that happened, but I was like, yeah, he, he was just trying to throw that ball out of bounds. Yeah, and, and chances are, I mean, you know, who, who knows? Because I they don't show a wide angle of that play, but for all we know, if, if instead of throwing that ball at the dirt and, and Dean picking it off, if he throws it down the sideline, I'm telling you what, you know, Browning's one of those guys that, you know, that, that one could have gone for six just as easily as it got picked off. Could have, yeah, absolutely. What did you think of the Kevin Steele all-out blitz at the end of the game? Well, you know, and it's it's scary. Like when you watch oh, the that's, replays, that's, that's not how I wanted that comment to start. I wanted you to I wanted you to start a little more fired up than that. <laughs> it was ballsy. Uh, it was terrifying. Um, and then we watched the replay. Uh, you know, on Sports Center, and they highlight the different Auburn players. And I'm telling you. That's you're talking about fifteen hundred pounds of full grown man coming at you right there, goon squad. I mean, just just terrifying. I, I mean, you know, so I, we're sitting there, me and my best friend. You know, he lives in Auburn, but he came up here to watch the game with me. And don't ask me how that worked, but you know, they they've got that highlight and they highlight the different Auburn players, and we're like, oh dear God, can you just imagine what Jake Browning's thinking right now? I love that call. I, did I too. love that call. I, I saw too. people on, yeah, I, yeah, I, I saw people on Twitter, like writers and just you know sidewalk fans, you know, wondering why Kevin Steele would do that, and I loved it. I mean, at some point you got to play to your strength. Auburn's obvious strength on defense is their defensive line, our ability to pass rush. You know, it's not the smart play every time because then it's predictable, obviously, and you're going to get burned. Averages, I understand all that, but. To me, that says a lot about what Kevin Steele thinks about the guys that he's got on this defense. I love that call. I, I mean, it the best defensive call I've seen or that I can remember, I don't know, in the last four years. Well, you know, I, mean, I, mean, I loved it. You, you got to highlight your best asset. And, Derek, I don't know what you think is your best asset. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I'm getting dressed in the morning, I don't try to cover up my best asset. I, I think, you know, you got to really accentuate. I think the ladies that listen to this podcast would agree. You know what your mama gave you, and you got to show that off, right? You don't try to hide yeah. that and, and and camouflage it. You throw it out there, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, you got to go for it. So that, I mean, listen, Auburn's defense went quiet and had yards put on it when, well, that happened when the defensive line wasn't getting the pressure. They, they were getting kind of, you know, manipulated by the Washington offense by throwing around them. Hey, make yourself a presence again. Bring the heat, and that's what he did, and, and it made all the difference. I, I can't say how much I love that call. I mean, that made me want to run up and hug Kevin Steele on the street, and he'd probably shoot me or something, but it, it just gets me so fired up because it's something that we've lacked. Uh, you know, not aggressiveness on defense or anything like that, but just the call. How often do you see a call where, especially this early in the season, where a coach for Auburn just goes for it? He just says, screw it. We're going, you know, big on big. We're doing the thing that we do best, 
and it's up to them to beat it. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's reaction versus action. You know, he took action instead of react. And, 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 you know, we do that in softball all the time. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons that slappers in particular are so great is that, you know, when you're a slapper, it doesn't really matter where the ball goes as long as you put it in the play and you got to make the defense make a play. I kind of think of this as kind of the same thing where it's, you know, hey, listen, if they beat us, they beat us, but we're going to bring what we got. And this is what we got. We're going to bring it as hard as we can go. And he did that. You know, it worked out. Yeah. You know what? You're, you're going to get bitten, but, but. Look what has to happen for that to happen. And, and Auburn's defensive backs were playing well enough. Uh, you know, Darrell Williams made a great play across the middle to save a touchdown. I just really want to give him a shout-out on that. But even the linebackers were in on it. And, and everybody was playing well enough that I think still felt like even if Browning gets this ball uh, out of his hands, the rest of my guys are going to be able to at least make a play on it. But, you know, if things do go our way, we're going to get a sack, we're going to get a fumble. And that's exactly what happened. You just compared Kevin Steele's defense to fast-pitch softball offense. Well, that's really all the only couple of things that I know. I don't Dude. really know that very well either. But, you know, that's, that's what I can think of. Jenny Finch. We're going to sign Jenny Finch. She can play, come play linebacker for us. Well, I bet she could. In fact, most any Alabama player, most every Alabama softball player could probably come play linebacker for most SEC schools because that's how they like to recruit <laughs> them down there in Tuscaloosa. I see some catchers that I would not want to try to – Bow over at home plate. No, no, I, I'd, I'd avoid that if at In all fact, possible. I've never seen any catcher I wanted to bow over at home plate. I'm not a very large man. Yeah, yeah, you know, me, me either. Me either. But hey, you know, it is what it is. So, Jenny Finch to Auburn confirmed as our new outside linebacker. Maybe she'll play a little buck. We don't know. Hey, Let her decide. She's well, her own woman and she can make her own decisions. Well, you know, Alabama never recruits a lot of speed in softball, and that's one thing you gotta have out uh at Buck and You don't need that much speed in softball. The bases are like twelve feet apart. <laughs> uh, you go you tell need that some much speed. Go tell some of them that. And speaking of Buck, hey, just wanna throw, you know, uh, it's a little jab at Big Cat Bright. You know, he he got some his first playing time and his first like off the edge blitz, he comes completely untouched on Jake Browning, and Jake Browning just pump fakes him into oblivion. And it was, I mean, I wanted him to make the play, obviously, but it, it still was a great learning experience. I feel like for Big Cat, for Jake Browning to send him flying into the stands on a pump fake, it was great. I'm glad you brought that up because as soon as that happened in the game, I wanted the Mike Man from the And One Mixtape Tour to run out on on the field and hype that play up. Yeah, I was thinking of like just, I was thinking of like NBA Jam, man. Yeah, I was thinking of NBA Jam where he, you know jumps completely out of the screen and somebody says it's the shoes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, he got faked hard. He oh, he could probably get Jake Browning for like identity theft or something on that. Like, dude, right, it was it was ugly, but it was great learning experience for him playing against you know the most experienced quarterback in the country. And again, you know, I can I can identify, you know, he comes off that edge completely unblocked. And I'm sure he was thinking to himself, what am I supposed to do now? As he floated back down to earth as all I don't how much does he weigh? Three hundred and I think he's about he's about nah, he's about two eighty, I want to say. But, you know, and, you know, Jake Browning just calmly completes that pass. And it was a third down and long, too. And he just calmly completes it out in that right flat for a first down like it's nothing. So. And, you know, you're not going to play many quarterbacks more experienced or savvy. Uh, you know, Browning is definitely a gritty guy. 
but I, and I also want to talk about, and I, I want to hear your your thoughts on this. Me and you thought that Miles Gaskin and his sideline to sideline uh, speed was going to be a huge factor, but but what did you see out of that? Nope. We had that covered. He burned us on a couple of runs. I, I don't know what his longest run was. I know he rushed for around 80 yards, but uh, I don't know if it was more Washington not putting him in the right positions or just us you know, covering those plays extremely well. But I was completely satisfied with how we held him in check for the game. He was mostly, even, I mean, even if he had run for a hundred yards, I would have, you know, I could argue that he wasn't really much of a factor. He really wasn't, you know, not a factor to at a all. detrimental extent anyway. I mean, yeah, I was, I was more than happy with how they handled him. Well, you know, I, and, and the other running back and I forget his name off the top of my head, but uh, you know, Man, what was his name? I'm going to feel stupid now because I can't remember it. But, you know, they kind of really – Al Bundy. Yeah, yeah, Al Bundy. They, they really uh, featured featured the other guy a good bit. He had some good runs, especially early in the ball game. It seemed like Gaskin was just kind of – maybe he was in the doghouse or something. I just don't really understand it because he really wasn't even used that, as a good, like, a decoy either. I thought that there were some opportunities for Washington to take advantage of Auburn's defensive front being a little over-aggressive. And we didn't really get burned by any of that. I thought some of his sideline-to-sideline speed could be used to get around the edge of our linebackers at certain points in the game. And I thought maybe uh, you know we would see some delayed handoffs, things like that. But honestly, I think that Washington was so concerned with stopping our defensive front after the first quarter that they may have shelved any ideas like that that they had. Yeah, they, they that's a great point. They probably had a game plan for what they thought they were going to do against us Saturday. And by the end of about the first quarter, they they may have had to just completely just come up with a new game plan. And Peterson's great at that, and we saw that, his ability to adjust. But, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever the plan they had for Miles Gaskin didn't work. You know, just kind of a crazy thing for a guy as good as that he, he's been uh, to just not be a factor whatsoever. Yeah, I was surprised by that, but I'm hey, I'll take it. We thought about 24 points was going to be the going to be the magic line. Of course, we didn't get to that. I mean, how surprised are you by that? That we didn't get to 24 points? Either either team, you know, I I think we both agreed that 20 the first team to 24 was going to be uh, the the winner of the game. Um, you know, obviously Washington had a lot of opportunities in the red zone and, and Auburn's D just absolutely bowed up. But uh, you know, Auburn didn't even have to score 24 points. And I think you were the one that said, hey, Auburn can win this game under 24 points. Washington couldn't. So props to you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to kind of talk about your thoughts after that. I feel like I nailed the 24 points because the Durst missed one of his kicks. I probably jinxed him by saying 24 points. If I had predicted 27, he probably would have made one more field goal. I don't know. I'm a lucky duck. That's pretty much all I can say. But I had a pretty good feeling Three touchdowns and a field goal will win this game. I didn't think that three touchdowns would win it, but uh, I'm happy, man. I mean, it just goes back to what I was saying about Kevin Steele's defense and doing such a great job in holding this Washington team to one touchdown. Yeah, and all things considered, you know, we had a couple of turnovers there um, and, and, you know, kind of a batted ball on one of those last sacks. Washington's probably really lucky that we didn't actually have a defensive touchdown. I think they're extremely lucky that we didn't have one. I mean, they they were really close, really close um, to 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 scooping up one of those balls and taking it to the house. So, uh, 
Hey, you know, I mean, there's, you know, we haven't really talked about special teams. So, you know, uh, we had a little bit of a punter battle. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. We had three punts on the day. And it looks like Sipos is going to end up being the man. What do you think? First of all, I'm extremely excited that Aaron Sipos, 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 Aaron Sipos. Sip sauce. Uh, I like calling him Sip sauce, but apparently that's incorrect. Aaron Sipos, the punter from Australia. Uh, I feel like I got a pretty strong Australian accent, by the way. That's pretty uh, solid. Uh, I'm happy that it looks like he may have won the job, and that's not to shame our other punter. What's our other punter's name? Marshall. Eric, no, it's, it's Marshall. So Marshall, what is his first name? Anyway, it's Aaron Sipos. Aiden and Marshall. I want to say Marshall Tucker, but that's the Marshall Tucker Aiden band. Aiden Marshall. Aiden Marshall. Not the Marshall Tucker band. Aiden Marshall. It would be pretty awesome if we had the Mar- the entire Marshall Tucker band punting for us. That's, he shall forever be referred to now as Marshall Tucker band. Yeah, uh, Aiden Marshall, I'm sorry I forgot your name. It just slipped my mind real quick. Uh, and no offense to him, but I'm really excited that Aaron Sipos appears to have won the job because all I've heard about this kid is he's got a huge leg. And obviously, he kind of showed up and pushed Aiden Marshall to a point where he could win the job. But, of course, he comes out. Shanks' his first attempt on the season, and I don't think we saw him again after that, did we? No, you know, and it's really not his fault. It, it Well, I'm not going to say it's not his fault. You know, that first punt nearly gets blocked. Marshall kind of has to rush it. Now, my thought was... Uh, and that was due mostly, didn't, uh, who was it who just whiffed on a block on that play? Uh, it was somebody on the right side. I can't remember who it was, but, you know... Uh, he may have held it a little long. I mean, I really didn't think he did anything wrong, but yeah, I mean, he ends up having to rush it. He shanks it. Sipos comes in, you know, averages 43 and a half per kick after that. And I mean, what else, what else do you need from a punter other than that? I mean, you, that's that's hard to it's hard to disagree with. Yeah, I was I was pleased and I was happy. It it was a double-edged sword for me for uh, Anders Carlson getting so much experience in this game. On the one hand, I'm extremely happy that he's already been thrown into the fire. You know, he's he's kicked in some pressure moments. This was a big game. On the other hand, I hate that we had to depend on our kicker to score that many points this early in the season, but I get it. And, you know, as we talked about earlier with the offense, I mean, at this point I'm going to take what I got because we won the football game. So... I think it worked out. I mean, Anders Carlson, does he possibly have a bigger leg than his brother did when he was a freshman? I think, I, I he think might. so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you I know, mean, and considerably he, stronger. You know, he pounds in that 54 yarder. I, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, he shanks one and for, pounded. He did. He, he made that with authority. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to kick, you know, or miss a kick, miss a kick all out and, you know, hit people up there in the corner, hit the, you know, the, the visiting team's band, which is pretty much what he did. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it was a great experience for him. It, you know, life is not going to be easy as a, even as a kicker. Um, let's go ahead and get those misses out of the way. But yeah, I mean, but more importantly, uh, to your point, you know, Malzahn's offenses in the last couple of years have really bogged down the red zone and we continue to see that. And again, we, we don't want to, we want to be happy about the win and we're not going to nitpick it. But at the same time, we've seen this story play out before the inability to really get anything going in the red zone. Um, you know, finally, when we, when we lean on Booby Whitlow, you know, third and seven, and he turns that into a touchdown, hopefully that's going to be a turning point for Auburn in terms of, you know, what, what is this team going to be 
when they get in the red zone. Now, with that being said, I firmly believe that Jarrett Stidham can make all the throws that he needs to make in the end zone. So let's let him make those throws. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just to wrap up, you know, my thoughts on the game, I'm with you on the red zone struggles for this offense. But finally, for the first time that I can remember, the struggles match the personnel that we had on the field. I understand struggling in the red zone when you've got a young or inexperienced offensive line and you've got it and you've got a young or inexperienced running back group. This is something that Auburn can grow from. We won the football game. We played well enough and scored enough points to win the game. So this is the first season where those struggles have really made sense, and the coaches do have some valid reasoning for things not working out the way that they do. Now, I know some people are probably thinking, well, we've had inexperienced offensive lines and running backs in years past. Yeah, but we look like garbage on offense in those games. We look like we had personnel that had never played in football games. That wasn't the case this year. So these struggles, looking at it from that perspective, seem completely normal to me. Yep. They, yep. There's no huge red flags sticking up to me out of this game. No. And, and Looking at it on – go ahead. And, and really, I mean, just to drive that point home, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier. This game – was about three plays from being out of hand and it, and it wasn't because of um, really mistakes that Auburn made or what a Washington did. I mean, it was just a read here uh, decision to do that there. I mean, Auburn's offense was in a position to blow this game open and they just didn't do it. And it wasn't because of drop passes. It wasn't because of fumbles. It wasn't because of sacks, even though there were a couple of sacks. I mean, they did what they needed to do. And again, I mean, I think they're going to learn the lessons from this game and and really become a potent offense down the road. I agree. I'm I'm far more pumped up about this season than I was before this game. I think you should be. I think you should be. You know, I, you know, Stidham can make all the throws, but he didn't have to. Um, you know, he was really risk adverse. And again, I mean, you know, you made the point, and I want you to elaborate on this. He didn't push the ball down the field all day Saturday. No, he didn't. And really, outside of a few situations, uh, he didn't really have to. Now, we stalled a little bit towards the middle of the game, second, third quarter. But, you know, you could just as easily argue that instead of pushing the ball down the field, we we should have tried stretching the field a little bit laterally and trying to get to the edge with our running game. So... And I'm not that concerned about him not, you know, throwing the ball deep in the first game. I mean, he came out of the gate as hot as he could be. And, you know, you spoke on that earlier when we were talking today, planning the show for tonight. And I think it's just one of those things that it, it's possibly just a coincidence that he didn't throw deep. And also, Washington secondary contributes to that as well. I mean, they have experience everywhere. That's the highest risk play you can make on offense. And maybe that's somewhere the coaches just weren't comfortable with going because, you know, even when Auburn's offense was struggling, uh, Auburn wasn't behind in this game except for a few minutes of that in, you know, in terms of game time. So, you know, they probably didn't feel the need to try to bust anything big and possibly give a momentum swing to Washington when our defense was doing such a a good job controlling the pace of the game. So, yeah. Would I have liked to see a bomb? Yeah, everybody likes a long touchdown pass, just like they like home runs and slam dunks. But, you know, 
it's just one of those things you don't always get what you want. Well, you, you'll also notice that Auburn uh, didn't have they didn't turn up the wick on offense until they got behind, and when they got behind after that last field goal, there was a sense of urgency, and and you know immediately we went back to what worked on that first series, you know, and it was again it was a Seth Williams you know slant route, it was you know stretching the field just a little, not stretching the field in terms of uh, you know down the field, but around the end. I mean, Auburn had the ability to turn up the wick on, on and it felt like they could do this at, at, at any point during that game they needed to do it, but they didn't need to do it until they lost the lead. And that next drive, they absolutely did that. They, you know, hit a quick hit, uh, hitch, kind of, you know, nice little slant route right up the middle. You know, they did a couple things and then they scored the winning touchdown just like that. I mean, yeah, they did just enough. To Gus, Chip Lindsey, and this entire offense's credit, all of that was extremely clean as well in terms of just turning it on like they did. I, I was super happy to see that. It was like, okay, there's been a clear decision for them to, you know, get down the field as fast as possible. or Not necessarily, you know, two-minute drill, you know, last minute at the end of the game, but that was nice to see, as you said. I mean, they turned the afterburners on, and they made it happen. It happened. You know, there was no panic. There was no, you know, huge mistakes in the heat of the moment. They just turned it on. They got it done. That was really nice to see. And I think it's also important to know, and I'm going to ask you this question, and I don't. Um, hopefully you'll know the answer. Otherwise, you know, you may be a bit embarrassed, okay? But 12. It's 12. No, it's 42 is the answer. But anyway, that's... That was totally Hitchhiker's uh, Guide to the Galaxy reference, by the way. The the answer to life and everything is 42. But we don't have too many nerds probably listening to this show. Okay, so, you know, didn't turn up the wick until we had to. Didn't have to rely on any receivers. And I think a lot of that's because, to be quite honest, with, with Hastings down and Stove down, that receiver core is really, you know, hamstrung right now, quite literally. Maybe hamstrung is the, the wrong word, considering they've, had to have ACL surgery, but, you know, Canella has to move outside to fill in the gap, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't stretch the field. I think that may be a, you know, a personnel problem. But what Auburn did do, and it was a totally Chip Lindsay thing, you tell me who was the leading receiver for the Auburn Tigers on the night. I have no idea. Chandler Cox. I haven't looked at, <clears throat> haven't looked at the stats. It was Chandler Cox, Ch- really. Yeah, Chandler Cox. You know, he's got 52 yards on, I think it was either five or seven catches. And and again, when, when Auburn was clicking on all cylinders and it looked like Washington had, had no answer, it was actually because Washington had no answer. You know, and it goes back again to the ability for Cam Martin, which, and he did a fanta- fantabulous job of making words up now as I go. But, you know, the big question on him Stupendous. between... Yeah, between him and Booby Whitlow was, you know, who can pass protect better and, and me and you discussed this last week was well if you know what play they're going to run based but based upon who's in the backfield you know is that a bad thing and it is a bad thing but you know they get cam martin back there and he can pick up the pass block and chandler cox comes out of the backfield and goes seven catches for 52 yards i mean that's that's big and that's totally a chip Lindsay thing and Cox actually had, in that last series to win the game, had two catches on two consecutive plays to move the chains. You know what? It's a shame that it took this long in the show to bring that up because I remember thinking that at the game uh, Saturday. Chandler Cox was mixed into this offense 
perfectly. And I love it. Man, I love it. And it was just a dash of garlic, salt, lemon, pepper, whatever you like to put on your food. Just the perfect, just the perfect little touch, wrinkle that this offense needed. I didn't realize that he was the leading receiver, but that makes total sense because there were a couple of plays where, and I, I'm assuming that it's the last drive that I'm remembering now that you just said that, where Stidham drops back, everybody looks covered, and Chandler Cox is just hanging loose like a tooth in Tuscaloosa, wide open, <laughs> waiting on the pass. And, uh, I mean, it was that was great to see. I can't believe I forgot that because I remember thinking that at the game. I was like, you know, before the season started, Chandler Cox is getting carries and Chandler Cox is doing this and that. Well, now we know why Chandler Cox was practicing so many different things for the offense. And if Chip Lindsey continues to do that, he can't do it every week, but if he continues to mix that in, I think that's going to be a huge element to this offense. It's going to pay off for us big time. Well, you know, Chandler Cox can run. Chandler Cox can catch the ball. But more importantly, Chandler can Cox block. So, you know, he's a valuable player. You just went there. I did. I did. I've been sitting on we that one for a while. From, we might get pulled from iTunes for that. Woo-woo! Do it big. Hey, go big or go home. That's right. That's right. One last thing that we got to talk about before we go is the Trackham Tigers Pick'ems contest because the standings from week one are in. And, Zach, you are on the front page. You're in the top 25. I am not. Well, you know what? So you want to maybe take us through some of your picks for the week, and I'm going to pull my standing. My standing, I have to go to a different website because <laughs> it's not even listed on Trackham Tigers. I'm so far down. Well, you know, um, I've been pretty competitive at this the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's funny to me because if you if you talk to any Vegas insiders, they'll tell you that um, – there's no such thing as kind of short-term success. The, the, the real winners out there do it over a couple of years. And, of course, I think if you're picking 20 games a week and you do it over the course of 12 weeks um, and you hit that magic 52%, because apparently 52% is what you have to hit to turn a profit in Vegas. And it's crazy to me that we got people that read our blog that make these picks that are hitting like – 67%. So some of you need to go to Vegas and make some money because you ain't making no money going for the Golden Bow. Now listen, the Golden Bow, probably the greatest sports trophy ever to walk the face of the earth and to go over the top, probably Bama punt. But that being some said... Some say it's the fantasy Oscar. Yeah, it is. It really is. You can't find a, a better trophy. It's the best all-around trophy on the planet. But it, some, some of y'all, um, you know... Year after year, continue to do well. Um, and I, of course, now I'm having to sit on my phone because my earbuds died again because apparently they can't last an hour. So I can't look up the standings. So hopefully Derek can can hook me up on that. I do know that the Texas-Maryland uh, game got me pretty bad. Uh, I forget what I ended up going, 13-10 and 10 or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I made the front page. Uh, probably going to get this week thrown out because I think I can do better here in the, here in the future. Um but yeah. Well, I ended up 61st. I went 10 and 13. That's not good. That's a losing record. Well, it's only a three-game swing from what you had, and this this is literally the first time I've ever done a pick 'em. So, obviously there's no beginner's luck. I'm going to take us through the top 10 from the first week. There's a top 25 listed on trackemtigers.com. That's a lot of names. I'm going to go through the top 10. 
First place, we have a three-way tie with Albie 75, KJ Nolan, and All Beast's amazing bracket. And then from there, K-Brow 31, Pine Mountain Tiger, Sullivan 013, Landon Turner, Blade, the literal vampire uh, comic book character, not Wesley Snipes, Jando 323, and rounding out the top 10 is War Eagleson. Now it's Let's see. Top 10's actually, or the 10 spot's actually tied between four different people. Auburn 1919, War Eagle from MO. What state is that? I think Missouri? that's, I think that's okay. Missouri. That may, and that may be our, our homeboy Cole. That might be Cole Loco. And Anarum 183, Sully 7. So those are the top 10. Well, so props to Pine Mountain Tiger. Team. Pine Mountain Tiger is one of our regular posters that comments on a lot of our posts. So, to hear him or her, he or she making the top ten, plus being a regular contributor. That's awesome. Yeah, congrats. That person may I'll actually con- know something about football. A little bit. I'll congratulate the other three people at the top of the board when I've determined that they are not, in fact, cheating. Or or bots. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think that they're cheating. I think they're real people that just know way more about football than I do. Or at least picking against the spread. Um God. <laughs> all right, look, we all right, it's it's late at night. Uh there's no storm. Unfortunately, last week we did get shortened because of a storm. But uh I think that's gonna do us for this week, Zach. I think that's pretty good pretty good discussion. What do you think? Uh yeah, yeah. Uh what else can I say? Hey, it's gonna be a boring week for pretty much all of us unless Alabama State Hornets are they yellow jackets or hornets? Um, or bees, or wasps, dirt daubers. Same difference. Yeah, they're all I mean, jerk offs. I really don't like any of them. Any anything that stings for no reason, I can't get down with that. Uh, we will be back either late this weekend or early next week, previewing the Auburn LSU game and giving our thoughts on what we saw in the Alabama State game. Uh, don't forget to go by trackemtigers.com. If you haven't already, it's still not too late to register for our Pick'ems contest. We'd love to have you along. Uh, there are like several people that didn't even make picks week one, so there's room <laughs> for you to improve. Uh, you can catch up. So please join us. Uh, as usual, I'm Derek Roberts. You can find me at TET Podcast on Twitter. And as usual, I've been joined by Zach Taylor at Best5Zach on Twitter. Zach, I appreciate it. You have a you enjoy the rest of your evening. I know it's late for you. Yeah, well, and just remember that uh, anybody out there can flip a coin and do better than ten and thirteen, which is what Derek did on Pick'ems. So it's not <laughs> too late, guys. Make sure you go sign up. It's early, Zach. It's early. And how do you know I didn't? How do you, how you know I didn't flip a coin? I think you probably used your dog and a bowl of food. <laughs> Now that that will come much later in the season when I'm bored of making picks. <laughs> so anyway, uh, thanks for listening. I'm gonna leave before Zach makes me feel any worse. <laughs> you all have a great weekend. Thank you for listening, Zach. War Eagle. War Eagle. Chicks for